Okay. So most of my listeners know I haven't been doing these podcasts <laughs> for like the last four months because I have been super busy. So I was very excited when I got a call from Andy Heller, who is our next guest, um, saying, would you like me to talk about my book? And I thought, let me see. I took a look at the contents of the book and I talked to Andy on the phone and uh, this is definitely something for my audience. Um, You cover topics that aren't normally covered in other books. You talk about life experience that I think people can relate to in a very simple way. And by simple, I mean easy to understand, breaking it down for for every day. Um, And you give some really solid pieces of advice without sounding like preachy. So (laughs) welcome, Andy. Uh, It's very nice to see you in person. And um, I am really looking forward to delving into the contents of this book, how you came to write it. And, you know, what do you want to do? What's the message you want to send to people? So welcome to the show. Elisa, it's a pleasure to be here. And I'm excited for our our chat today. So um, tell us, Andy, a little bit about your history, because you didn't take like a straight route to writing a divorce book, right? Oh, it's probably if you ask me at 25, what's the least likely thing you'll ever do in your life, this would be among the top two or three. So uh, the answer to your question, Lisa, is uh, so I've, uh, I've had a few different careers, and one of those is a real estate investor. And back in the 2000s, I co-authored a couple of investment books. And um, but that was to help people learn how different, a couple of different ways to make money, okay? One of my personal um, processes for, for dealing with stress is I just, I just start to write whenever I get stressed. When my mother was in hospice and passing away, I was worthless for work. And I just started taking notes and half of my notes became her eulogy. The other half actually became an article that I'm proud to say was covered in five national newspapers in the Mother's Day after she passed. And I went through a divorce and there were a lot of elements to my divorce that were a little bit unique. And I started to just went, go through my normal method of dealing with stress. I started to write and take notes. And as I went through my divorce, I, I, had, I, I found a therapist that I went with that worked a lot with divorced dads and she was wonderful for me. And every time something would happen, she said, hey, I got a book for you here, read this. Something happened with the kids, I got a book for you. I got a book for this, book for that. I read a lot. And, and all these books were great. And I'm a big believer, Elisa, you can pick up the worst book, but if you pick, get one or two tips that help you, it's worth the, you know, the 17, 18 bucks. But what I did notice, Elisa, was that there was a real gap in the divorce book space. And what I mean by that is divorce, having gone through it myself, is an experiential journey. And you learn things during this journey that you only can learn during the journey. And you make some mistakes, you do some things wrong, you do some things well, okay? The challenge to to have a successful and optimal divorce, you need to have these lessons on day one, not day 150 or 350 or 550. And there's no book that I saw that kind of armed the divorcee with these lessons on day one for the purpose of allowing the divorcee, his or her spouse, and most importantly, the children to land in a healthier place. So I looked at my notes after like a year or so into my divorce, reading a half a dozen or so books. I'm like, oh my goodness, 
I got an outline for a great book. And initially I started writing just as a therapy tool for myself. Then I got serious. I started to interview uh, therapists. I interviewed uh, um, children's therapists, family therapists, divorce specialists, co-parent counselors, mediators, divorce attorneys, and, and dozens of couples who went through divorce and specifically focused on couples who landed in a good place. All right. And the result of this process was a book with 46 of the top tips that you can typically only learn experientially and arming the divorcee with these tips on day one so he or she and their children can get through the process easier and everybody lands in a better place and can move on with their lives. So um, this has been my, my therapy tool. <laughs> Um, hopefully is my, my give back. So unlike the other two books I co-authored where there was certainly a desire to uh, uh, make some money, this is more uh, about, I hope if my book can help a handful of people get through the process in a better way, treat their soon-to-be ex-spouse more respectfully, and more, most importantly, have their children land in a place where they're not going to need therapy for the next 30 years, then this would have been a, a worthwhile journey. So that's my story in a nutshell. Okay, thank you for that. Well, you said a few things there that are just like right up my alley because I don't, you know a little bit about this, but I practiced family law for about 15, 16 years and um, had some very contentious cases and then saw uh, often the fallout, you know, from those cases. And even when, you try and minimize it as an attorney, it doesn't mean, you know, there's a person on the other side and it depends on how the parties feel about this process, right? Sure. So I a, um, found out that people largely do not know that there are other resources and options available to them besides this straight litigation route, right? Sure. Um, and I also found that people were not always thinking the most of their children when they're going through a divorce. So my particular, what, hey, what brought me to what I do now is sort of the same thing. It's trying to make it easier for people. But my particular bent was how can we create healthier parents so that we can maintain healthier children? Because kids should not have to take the brunt of the parents' divorce. And it's just often almost seems inevitable if they're in litigation. So. So I, I am totally with you. I, I wanna say a couple of things about your book, which I thought were really um, amazing. There's an advanced praise section and the comments that people make um, are really interesting. One guy says, and I don't know if I should name the people. You buy the book, you'll find out who the people are. But <laughs> this is a blunt, practical, actionable, and sometimes highly counterintuitive advice for people going through a uniquely disruptive and disorienting time. I thought that was great, especially from someone who'd been divorced. Um, as you said, that you consulted with professionally licensed therapists. And then there's another person who gave you a review, says, um, take the high road is like getting talking to a wise friend. I love that. Um, there's one other thing that I heard that I saw, which I thought was interesting. Supportive friends during the time of need are a blessing, <laughs> but the advice they get they offer is not always what you need. Can you talk about that? Because that's usually the first thing people do. That's usually how they find out 
how to get into the process, right? Is through friends. So can let's start there. Sure, and, and I, I, that's really an interesting um, starting point for our discussion today because you're exactly right. When when people are getting through, when, when you have a divorce and it's on your mind, it's very difficult not to be talking about it to a lot of people, all right? And um, one thing I wanna say about this book is this, this is not about Andy Heller's divorce. I'm a businessman and my, my role in writing this book was collect, taking these tips from a collection of experts and, and organizing them for divorcees. This isn't the world according to Andy. So I made plenty of mistakes myself. One of the things I, I, I noticed that I did right is um, everybody and their brother, when you announce you're getting divorced, is going to give you advice. All right. And my head was spinning at least. And, and I mean, I can tell you some examples in the same 24 hour period from two people I respected. I got completely opposite advice. So you need to put your advice givers, and there's an entire chapter about this, into two buckets. Okay. And I'm going to be kind of direct here, but one bucket is be polite and ignore. The other bucket is listen to. And in the listen to bucket, the recommendation is to have two people. One is you want, you want to have a therapist, okay? Now, again, I have not been a, a significant user of therapy in my life until I went through divorce, and I am sold. <laughs> and my sister is a, has, a, has her MSW. I mean, but I, had to, I was fortunate, Elisa, that I had the right therapist. Um, I asked for a divorce. I, I, sorry, I asked around, and I, I was introduced to a therapist who did a lot of work with divorced men, Okay. So she was particularly uh, um, well-schooled in the area that, in my area of need at that time. And she was a wonderful rudder for me, okay? So that was one of my primary advice givers. And then I found a person and I'm speak about him in the book. Uh, uh, his name is Hans. Hans, I met him, he had a high drama divorce. <laughs> and I met him, um, I, met, I met with him. I mean, he's a lifelong friend, Lisa. I met with him when everything was blowing up. And um, he, he landed in such a great place. He's got himself a new partner. Uh, again, I, when I say high drama, I'm, under, I'm underselling this. His divorce was, I, I cannot share the specifics. It, it was just, it was terrible what this man had to deal with. Um, you seen, seen the movie War of the Roses? It was a war. It, it, well, not quite war though. I don't think they fought inside the home, but um, so but Hans was my, he was my safety net and my rudder. Okay. He was the one who said, Andy, okay, if you can pay A, you pay A plus B. Okay. Pay a little bit more because that's going to give you a feeling of comfort. Okay. Um, and, and really help me to, um, to compress the motions that I was percolating in my mind that were driving me towards decisions that were not necessarily the right decisions. Because I saw what he went through and where he was today, I, I listened. So one of the advices in my book is to find yourself a Hans, not just somebody who's been divorced, everybody, but somebody who has been through a divorce and landed in a place and you respect the way he or she is leading their lives. By that, I mean they're generous and respectful to their former partner, even if they're not friends, get along, but they're generous and respectful, 
okay? Um, they, they're, they're reasonable, okay? They're kind, they, they're a good parent, all right? And they've been able to take whatever they went through, compartmentalize it and put it in a place, and they're now leading a good, healthy life. And you just want one of those people. You don't need more, okay? Because that's where it gets to, gets to be like a tornado, all right? So if you restrict your advice givers, okay, to two people, one is a trained professional where he or she is not going to tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And you specifically seek out a trained professional that has dealt with divorced men or developed, dealt with divorced women, okay? And then somebody in your circle who's been through the process and you are looking at the life that he or she is leading today and you like and you and you believe that he or she is lead, leading a respectful, kind, and, and grounded life. Those are the two people you need to listen to. You can be polite to all your other friends who are going to offer you advice because you don't want to upset your group of friends. But you also don't want to put yourself in a position where you're like at the bottom of a tornado. Okay. Right. Um, right. Fewer voices, fewer voices, but the right voices are better than a high volume of voices. Yeah. I found um, very interesting, and I to believe in like uh, take advice from your friends with like a grain of sand because people do not live in your shoes they don't no matter no matter how close they are to you it what happens in their house is not the same as what's happening in your house and they don't have the same makeup coming into the situation that tells them how to respond to situations so they cannot know and sometimes they would be over supportive or sometimes they would be under supportive because they have their own agendas. Not to mention that when you do start talking to your friends, then the circle of your other friends somehow gets involved. And that's just who wants that kind of energy out there. It's yeah. these are very private, intimate things that people are going through, right? So yeah, I yeah. love I love that. Yeah, I can add also um, another side note to that. There were some of the interview parties are a couple of examples where jobs were lost because people began to talk about their divorce so much that, that they lost uh, a sense of how often and how much took it into the workplace and um, uh, they lost their jobs. So there's also a financial component to, um, to kind of restricting uh, the number of people who you will seek counsel from and get into detail with. Right. So I, I thought you made an interesting comment earlier that you said Hans told you pay A and then bump it up to B because it will make you feel more comfortable. Is that what you said? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, in whatever state people live in, and you, you know this certainly with your, your previous profession, Elisa, um, there is tends to be a requirement. Uh, uh, there, there, what, what, a, what a divorcee pays if they're paying alimony or child support, it tends to be formulaic based on what state you live in, what you made in, in, the, in the years prior to the divorce, how many children uh, you have and how long you've been married. Those are the, the key factors, all right? And from that will come a formulaic number. My point is that if you're able to pay a bit more, 
do it, do it. And that's what, what Hans was saying. Um, it might not be appreciated at that time of high emotions, but you might just feel good yourself. All right. right. That's um, the point I was making is that, or I was trying to get at is that you do that for yourself. It's interesting the things that people, when they're going through a divorce, are either trying to do to somebody else or avoiding doing for themselves in the process, which is super important. It's super important to take care of yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. That's a, that's a whole other chapter in the book is, is you've got to really take care of yourself, both your physical and your own mental health. Because it is, I mean, even if you don't have a contentious divorce, okay, what a divorce represents for the husband and wife or the husbands and the husband or, or wife and wife is a collapse of dreams that you once had. And that in itself, even if you're ready to move on, that's, um, that's not, that, that's at some point in the process, you're going to feel a little bit down about that. It might not be when you're going through the process, but it will happen. And that's a pretty uh, common um, denominator from the different interviews that, that, that I had. Um, so yes, uh, if you're able to, um, to give a bit more, you're going to feel darn good about it yourself. And that's an example, of, like the title of my book, Take the High Road. Um, to me, that's an example of, of, of the high road. Um, and again, it might not be appreciated. You might not get the thank you at the time because everybody's emotions are heightened, but you don't need the thank you. You're not doing it for the thank you. You're, you're doing it so you can feel good about your actions. Great. That's great. So let's talk about um, kids for a minute. <laughs> so how, what's the advice that you give people who have children? How to start, I mean, during the beginning of the process and as you're going through the process and then after the divorce is final. Well, Because they're, they're distinct. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, um, we can speak for next two hours just about answering that question, but I'm going to give right. some... I'm going to start with what I would say is the most powerful comment. Even if the divorce is something that you and your spouse want, and you, you both want to be in different places, the, the disruption of your children's lives is permanent. Okay. And, and your children will be hurt in because they ideally, in almost all cases, they want both parents to be together. Okay. You're going to have a lot going on yourself where you can't also be the disruptor and the consoler in chief, all right? This is another example where um, to, to, I highly recommend to consider therapy for your children. Younger children, there's a popular subset of children's family therapy called play therapy, because you, you're not gonna have a, a six or seven-year-old kids sit on a couch and, and, and talk, but through play, the child ends, ends to communicate to the therapist where their head is at and how they're dealing with the changes in their lives, okay? And they're gonna have a confidant who is completely concerned only with the well-being of the children that doesn't have to deal with their own drama. And this is not a new recommendation. This is, this is recommendation that is in other books, but one of the most insightful uh, um, points in, in my book and this was, came at the courtesy of a California-based play therapist who was interviewed, and she's quoted throughout the book, is uh, she recommends actually does a process to do this that is going to be have enhanced benefits for the children. 
what she was saying is that it's very common for parents who do put their children in therapy. Um, most do it once the children learn of the divorce. She goes a step further saying the, the optimal structure is to get your children in therapy three to six months before the announcement is made that the, that the family unit will be separating and they're gonna be a, to become a two household family. Why is the timing so important? Because it allows the therapist to set up a foundation of trust with the children so that at the time of the explosion, the therapist already is able to get to work and, and help the children. If she's just getting to know the kids at that same time, the kids will not be as communicative and forthcoming with how they're dealing with these disruption. And thereby, the therapist will not be as helpful to them. So um, because of her experience doing this with um, one particular family, she's actually made that her, her proto, her, um, her preferred structure when she is introduced to parents, the first thing she'll say is, have, have you announced this to the children yet? No, we're gonna do it next week. No, you're not. Get the kids in with me now and push it back three months, okay? So this has become such, a, 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 the benefit of this has become so significant that she has now made this a part of her normal preferred structure. So. This is like, um, as we say in business, uh, the devil in the details. Okay, yes, oh, send your kids to therapy. Okay, that, that's advice has been out there for a couple of decades. But how you do this, what type of therapist you choose, you, you don't send a six-year-old to a regular therapist. It probably needs to be a play therapist. And if you're, if you're not familiar with play therapy and you have younger children, or you know somebody who's getting divorced with younger children, the recommendation is learn about it. It's a wonderful subset of, uh, of, of general uh, uh, family therapy that has proven to be effective for a child. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I can totally see how establishing a baseline and a structure of trust could help a child. Not only that, but then the therapist gets to see who the child is prior to gaining this knowledge. As opposed to just yeah. after the damage has been done, so they can maintain some consistency. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So um, there's a section in your book called "How to Respond to Hurtful Comments from Your Children." I like to oh. educate adults and how to deal with things, right? So yeah, <laughs> how do we yeah. how do we do that? Because sometimes kids oh. can say even adult kids can say things, and you're like, "Where were you living in the same house with me?" <laughs> <You're right>? Yes. <laughs> Um, well, this entire chapter is one of my favorite chapters of the book because it's one of the things that people don't really think about. Um, and let's first of all, when we say children, we're really going to put children, we'll put children to two buckets, Elisa. We'll put younger children who really, they, they think later after what, whatever is on their mind comes out of their mouth and older children who might understand a little bit more about the ramifications of their comments. Okay. But I'll give a great example, and we talk about this in the book. Um, so, uh, you know, mom just spends, uh, uh, and mom and dad are recently divorced, okay? Um, the, the, the father's a stay-at-home dad, mom is, is working, so the children are used to spending more time with dad. 
mom is working her butt off to change her schedule and, and to where she can be as more available to the children. But you know, she has the pressures of work that her spouse or soon to be ex-spouse doesn't presently have. So her situation has a lot of moving parts. So she goes and she creates this amazing weekend. She takes her kids to Disneyland, uh, 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 Universal, and <clears throat> they're meeting the, the, the father at a hotel for the exchange of children. And on the way over there, the daughter says, oh man, I cannot wait to meet dad, to see dad. I just, I, I miss them so much. Oh, the dagger goes through mom's heart. Excuse me, do you realize what I've done the mountains I moved to have this one week holiday with you. And before you say thank you, you're talking about how much you miss your father. How about some appreciation? So we have to remember we're dealing with children here, okay? And we've just blown up their lives. So this is an example of something that is hurtful, but also but unintentional, Elisa. So in, in that chapter, we go through um, how to take that, reflect, respond to that, but not to say to the children what you're really thinking, <laughs> which mom's yeah. going to be like, are you kidding me? I'm so upset. Look what I've just done for you. Um, so the answers are, are, are measured. And one of the things we've done doing that chapter is we actually go through some sample conversations. And this might sound almost like, um, like business 101, but you kind of got to train yourself to prepare for comments like this. So that when they happen, you're reacting based on the, the training, not based on your instincts, because you might be hurt. And, and you're justified to be hurt because it doesn't feel good to hear that. But you can't let the child know what you're thinking because they're just a child. I so think that's an example uh, of, um, of where you hear something and it, it really hurts and you, you want to respond a certain way, but you just can't. You make a really good point. And honestly, that I have been through my own divorce. I have watched clients go through it. And that is one of the hardest things to do is to not react and give your children. I mean, it's so natural. You have relationships with your children. They're talking about all, all kinds of things all day long, right? Prior to the divorce. And then all of a sudden you're in the divorce and you cannot allow that to infect them, which means you got to really be an adult and handle this stuff personally. So I like your idea about the therapist. I actually have sent some of my clients to um, coaches too. There's a lot of life coaching going on now and divorce coaching. Yeah. I don't know if you've used them or interviewed them, but I really like them too. They can just be your, sound, I, 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 your sounding I board. Yeah, I, I did in the book. Um, uh, life coach, no, um, but that probably I would put that in a similar camp with having a darn good therapist. But I do talk about parent coaches and um, so it, let's say you've got a, 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 a you're married um, and, and you've got two or three children and um, you've got a banter or a, a, a process un, under your roof of how you deal with the children together. It's a, it's a very different dynamic having those two or three kids in a house by yourself, all right? Um, and um, there's an example in the book of, of, of a father who's a, who's a good, good dad, but he traveled a lot. He had, he had a, a, the wife, the, his wife was stay at home mom, great mom. And, um, uh, he, he, but he, he never had the parent on his own. 
So he hired a parent, a parent coach for like four sessions. She came, she coached him up a little bit. Then the end last session was she actually came over for dinner one night. He told the kids, okay, this is, uh, you know, crazy aunt Susan from, uh, <laughs> from Toronto or something. And, um, but she was there to just observe him and, and provide some health, helpful cr critique. Um, the other thing, so, so something like that, uh, there's two benefits. One benefit, it can help make you a better parent under your new dynamic, okay? And your dynamics are gonna, are, are, are monumentally changing. The second is um, optics are not, never bad. Because if you ever have a situation where you are, like you said, Lisa, you want to avoid being in front of a judge or have a litigated divorce. But, you know, there's 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 no negative. If you've taken a personal initiative as a, as a, as a, a mom parenting on her own, but for the first time or a dad parenting on his own for the first time, you hired, you hired a daddy coach or a mommy coach to make you better at a parent. I mean, my goodness, guys, um, if you're, God forbid, in front of a judge um, asking for time with your children, that's going to be exactly what he or she's going to want to hear. Yeah, they so love that stuff. Yeah, it's good for two reasons. It, it makes you a better parent. And it also shows a commitment to anybody that might be involved in your life. Yeah, very good. So there are these nuggets that you give in the book, right? There's, there's a chapter called 10 Nuggets. Um, yes. Tell me, tell, give us, give our listeners like a few hints. A few hints. Well, um, one of those is, uh, so the MSA is your legal divorce. It's a divorce document that you sign, okay? Um, in- um, By MSA, in, you mean mediation, mediated settlement agreement? Correct. correct. Okay. And then um, uh, a parenting plan, is a specific plan for how you will parent your children. Now, in a lot of MSAs, there are elements of the parent of, of, of the parenting agreements sprinkled into the MSA. We recommend that you actually get with a co-parenting coordinator and draft specific parenting plan inserted in your agreement. The benefit of that is it ensures that it, it's, it's, it's much more likely that you don't miss. I think I'm using a double negative there. My English teacher would, would be upset with me, Elisa, but um, <laughs> it, 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 you're less likely to miss key elements that you'll need or might need as you raise your children if you have a specific parenting plan. They tend to be far more detailed. They, they, they can deal detail with, uh, if you're a two-religion household, um, uh, advanced agreement when your daughter or your son reaches age when they're ready to date agreements as to technology that's allowed or not allowed in both homes, um, how you break tiebreakers, all right? Um, and you're gonna have those, believe me, even if you have an amicable divorce, there'll be things in the future where you will not agree. And if you have joint legal custody, you need to have a mechanism for breaking a tie. That's another one of the nuggets, the 10 nuggets. You, you, the book highly recommends to have a tiebreaker mechanism that keeps you out of court. Okay. OK, and you'll know this as, as, as uh, uh, from, from your background, Elisa, that, um, you know, there's so many great attorneys out there and there's some that are not so great. All right. And um, uh, your attorney will not always guide you and tell you what a special master is. All right. Because a special master is basically a bind and tiebreaker. 
that keeps you out of court, which means the attorneys get less business. So we believe and recommend that you should nominate a special master, okay? Even if you have an amicable divorce, what if happens three years later, um, dad meets a girlfriend in Utah and wants to move and challenges you, okay? You don't wanna be in court over that. And if you put, if you create a, a, an order that you and your, your, your spouse submit to the special master, it gives the special master the ability to rule in, on that and keeps you out of court. Uh, other things like children's extracurricular activity, if there's some support issues, uh, um, custodial time. So these are common reasons that drag couples back to court and you don't want to go there, guys. Um, so, so that's one of my, my, my tips in there. So that that's a great segue to what I do, right? Because <laughs> I now have a full-time mediation business. And I will say that that's part of the reason to choose a good mediator um, and choose them early in the process. Maybe even before, even when you're just thinking about getting divorced. Um, because oftentimes, you know, if you may even be able to head off a divorce if you can work through mediation to find um, the root causes of some issues and how you can better communicate about them. But going back to what you said about the MSA, a good mediator will include those elements in the mediated settlement agreement. Like that, at least that's what I try and do for my clients is include those and then whoever ends up drafting, whether it's an attorney, a legal document preparer, paralegal, or the client themselves, right? Um, they'll have the structure that they need when they're completing those documents. Yeah, so I, I think that's, that's great advice. Um, and the other thing that I do, you can put this in your next book, is um, I have several clients who have liked the idea of having an annual meeting, right? Maybe it's just uh, on the phone, but it's the time in which you exchange all of the dates for vacations because those change annually, right? Vacation times, breaks change when school changes. Um, so that every six months, every year, whatever it works for you and your family, you're going to get together and talk about all those things that didn't go so well during the last year and what you want to plan for the next year. So I really like that. My clients seem to like it. And as far as the mediation goes, they can do it themselves or they can come back and do it with me or another professional mediator. Um, that gives them some consistency and cohesion from year to year and keeps them out of court, frankly. And uh, actually, that, that's discussed in, in the book. Um, and I will credit my, uh, my ex-wife. Um, she got us meeting with... Um, a what uh, a co-parent counselor okay i didn't even awesome. know what this was guys years ago so a co-parent counselor i think there's probably some overlap with what you're suggesting there lisa so it, it's um somebody you can meet with on a a schedule that you and your spouse will determine uh, and very often in the initial phases of separation there's fewer things you can agree to so it might be once a month it might be once every six weeks um, it might be once a quarter, but it does exactly what you're talking about, where you meet and there's things that you got to talk to your former partner about, particularly if you're running children's lives. You've got to talk about extracurricular activities. You got to talk about vacations, about birthdays, school schedules. What are they, what, what are they going to do during the summer? 
what are we what are we okay to pay with? What are we not okay to pay for? Um, so the benefit of these this, these meetings with the co-parent counselor is particularly if you're not seeing eye to eye with with uh, your spouse, and it, it they're typically the first one or two years upon se after separation is a time when communication is the most challenging. And in fact, for some some couples, it's just it's it's cringeworthy and stress it, it, it induces stress. So to bring a third person in the room, who's who is a trained professional at bringing uh, um, uh, people together from different sides of the uh, uh, of of the of the table to an agreement that's in the best interest of the children, that's awesome. The only downside of a co-parent counselor is it's not binded. So if you do have a um, a, a former partner who is especially challenging to work with, um, you can have a discussion and you might not reach an agreement and that can be very frustrating. So that is where a special master uh, uh, or a mediator comes by where you, you, you give that person the ability that in, in case you cannot come to an agreement, the third party actually will make a decision for you, the decision is binding and it keeps you out of court. So there's a, a couple different uh, textures to this. You can have the, the co-parent counselor where it's non-binding, it's a trained professional to help the couple arrive at the decisions that they need to manage the lives of their children in a two household environment. Then there's a mediator special master who will do the same thing, but in the event that an agreement cannot be reached, um, this part person will hear the, hear the, the, the con conflicting views and come up with a decision which is binding, okay? And typically the way a special master work is the, uh, the couple that's divorcing will come together and they'll come up with what's called an order. The order specifies what the special master can and cannot rule on. So it's not just, you're not just given somebody the ability to, to control your lives. You're given a select uh, seg uh, uh, <clears throat> segment of issues <clears throat> that that person can rule on. If, if as long as the, the conflict is on that list, the special master can make a rule on, on that. If it's not on that list, then you either have to reach agreement or unfortunately court tends to be the only mechanism available. Yeah, that, that's, and that's true for mediation too, is that um, in mediation, you can do things that you are not going to get if you go to court because mm -hmm. they are, and, and you can, it empowers you to make decisions over situations that relate to your specific family circumstances, not everybody else's, right? Um, yes. Yeah, so you, you get, and it puts you back in the driver's seat. Well, you and your soon to be ex-partner, right? Back in the driver's seat around what things you want to have happen and how you wanna deal with them. So yeah, for all yeah. those reasons, I agree. What, what the, There are various tools obviously available to people. And one of the things that's sort of frustrating to me is that people just really are not aware of all the tools and all the different options that they have. And I think if they were more aware that there would be a lot less, um, I mean, you could just still have to file the case, right? In a, in a court yeah. of your jurisdiction in order to get enforceable orders, but there would be a lot less trial and maybe less motion action yeah, activity happening. You know, one, okay, one and a lot the, of less uh, stress for people. Yeah, well, I, I'm gonna speak to both of those two things there. The, one of the benefits, what, what you just, the last thing you just said, Alisa, the, 
one of the benefits of having a, a mediation structure or, or a co-parent counselor is it brings down your stress. You don't have to worry about this dependent disagreement with your spouse. Um, you know that there's a third party in the room who is trained to come to, to reach these agreements. And these types of arrangements tend to favor the party that is more reasonable. And if that's you, <laughs> then these are really, really good things to set up in your life. So it brings your stress down. And one of the things about these resources that you were talking about is it was fascinating for me as a businessman, uh, not being a therapist or an attorney or a mediator, right in this book, when I realized just how many resources there are out there for people, and they're not very obvious. And so that's one of the things I talk about in the 46 tips is these resources that are out there. And look, we talk about therapy and the, the optimal situation is, is you get a co-parent counselor, you get a, a therapist for your children, you get a therapist for yourself. Fact is people have budgets, all right? right. So right. that's, that's right. just the reality. Um, so, so not everybody has the budget for all these great things, unless some of them are available at discounts in certain communities. And many of them are, and you just need to know what to ask for and where to go to ask for them. There are many slide and scale and low cost and even free therapy available to couples who cannot afford all these things we're talking about today, but they know that it's in their children's interest if they can find it. So please don't give up hope and think, well, this is only for people who are privileged and able to pay for this. That's not correct. Um, it, it is easier sometimes, and there's more, there's more choices if budgets are not a concern. But if budgets are a concern, uh, in the book, we talk about starting at the family court system and asking what resources are available within the budget that you have and that's their job, guys, to help you and guide you to, to which doors to open so that you and your, your, your children can land in a healthy place. Yeah. I mean, one of our taglines at Blend Mediation is uh, we do in hours what takes months or years in litigation. And yeah. um, I don't know what you found, but the average price of a litigated divorce is well in excess, like three, four or five times in excess of what you would pay for a mediated settlement agreement. So um, yeah. just for the time to do the mediation included. Yeah, uh, we, um, I, I talked, uh, the one thing, I, you know, I'm not an attorney and, and, the, and the thing is that uh, A, laws are always changing. B, there are 50 states and I don't know how many, 16 provinces now in Canada. So, you know, you write something about the law today, it, it's, it's gonna be, um, a lot of it won't apply to many states or in five or six years. So while I don't get into the nitty gritty of the law, what the book does is talk about the different formats of, of divorce, like a litigated divorce, kitchen table divorce, collaborative divorce, mediation. And I'm completely in agreement, Alisa. Um, uh, if you can mediate, and or a kitchen table collaborative divorce. These almost always save you tens of thousands of dollars than if you litigate. Um, and, and the irony, the, the irony is, even if you decide to litigate, even if that's how you start, before you can go to trial in most states, 
they tell you to go to mediation. You have to do it. So I, I always tell my clients, it's worth trying it up front because if you're not able to work it out right now, then you know maybe you have to do some litigation expenses and motions, et cetera. Maybe you need to go. Some people need to go to trial to expend their emotional energy and feel closure. Um, thankfully, that's not the majority of people. <laughs> thankfully, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm glad you say that because it, it was amazing as I dove into the statistics, how many, how many of these divorces end up avoiding litigation at the end. Right. So, so I, I love what you just said. It, and that's why I wrote the darn book. It's like, you need these lessons from the end on, on the first day, not on the 100th or 200th day. And this guy's can save you so much money. And, you know, uh, uh, hopefully you're at a point if you're, if you're, if you're uh, uh, watching this and, and you are getting divorced where you're still able to talk to your, your, your spouse and say, look, um, if we go and we litigate, the chances are we're going to burn tens of thousands of dollars and end up not getting litigated in the end. So let's try this first. <laughs> right. And. Um, the other thing that I that I think is important for people to know is that like whether it's uh, coaching, therapy, mediation, they're not all one stop, right? It's not for one. You don't just use it for one time. You can do mediation in stages, right? So you can say, I want to tackle these issues right now. If you don't either have the budget or the willpower or the energy to do it um, all at once. And I I'm a firm believer, and this is part of my passion, is to make mediation a first stop for resolution of conflict, like it used to be back in the old days, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and not the thing that the court says, you got to go do it now. Yeah, and, and there's there's many um, uh, kind of, uh, um, if you, you take these great processes and you put them into the centrifuge, there's many combinations that are so much healthier and, and, and will save you money. One example, when you were talking, I was thinking about, and I, I talk about this in the book. So let's say you've got a contentious situation. You're both getting, you're, you're both lawyering up and, and you're not getting along, whatever. Call your spouse and say, look, we're not in a really good place right now. There's not a lot we can agree on. You're going to hire your attorney. I'm going to hire my attorney. I got a suggestion. Let's meet for coffee for an hour and let's just write down the things that we agree to, all right? Let's see if we can get ourselves a list of 10 or 15 things that we agree with. And you can hand that list to your attorneys and say, okay, now we can focus only on what's not on this list. And even you take, you're not truly having a kitchen table divorce because you're not concluding your divorce amicably over a kitchen table, what you are doing it's you're saving yourself tens of thousands of dollars by giving your attorneys a much shorter list of things to argue about. Yeah, and you make you make another really good point right there, which is that people need to know from the get that they are in control of their litigation. There are a lot of people who, because they're so overwhelmed emotionally or whatever, they hire an attorney and they kind of surrender their whole lives to the attorney as opposed to understanding that they're in the driver's seat. So an attorney actually cannot go down a road you don't want them to go down, right? Now they may have to, to respond, 
But a lot of people don't know that. They just feel sort of unempowered by the whole process. And that I think can be, we could change that um, by educating people like we're doing here, sort of. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you're it, in control. It's funny listening to you talk. I mean, it's, it's almost like you and I were met each other four or five years ago, Lisa. I, I, I said that exact same advice in, in the book. It's your responsibility to manage the attorney, not the other way around. And the attorney works for you. And you have a responsibility to guide your attorney into how you want to land, okay? One of the other great tidbits in the divorce book that I talk about is um, figure out the two or three things that, you, that are important to you. Write them down. It's a great exercise, guys. What are the two or three things, and you're not allowed to be have a list longer than two or three. So it forces focus and it forces you to segment important and essential from unessential. And you give your attorney two or three things, this list of two or three things and say, this is what I need to achieve, compromise everywhere else. If you can do this one thing, you'll save yourself so much money, tons of stress, and you got a greater likelihood of having this thing done in months instead of years. But it forces you to look in the mirror and say, what are the two or three things that are most important to me? And I'm not allowed to make an issue of anything else. That's and, great. Yeah. So you're kind of setting boundaries for yourself at the, at the get-go. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's really... It's really difficult because when we're going through divorce, even again, if it's amicable, very few of us are on our best behavior. <laughs> it's just right? a human being. We're, we're all human beings. And, and you know, you're worried about money. You're worried about parenting on your own. You're worried about the effects on your children. Some of you are worried about re-entering the workforce. Some of you are worried about uh, uh, where are the hours going to come from to do all these things. You're not operating at all cylinders, everybody. All right. So yeah. um, going through the exercise of writing these things down and focusing and, and giving your uh, empowering your attorney to compromise everywhere else is healthier, going to save you money and help get your deal done. And I'm going to say one one more thing around that. Uh, um, it might not feel like it. During the first couple of years, when you just sometimes you can't talk to this person, you think like if you say up. Oh, He's gonna say down. If you say right, she's gonna say left. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't accomplish anything. Remind yourself that you've got to parent these children until they're out of the house. So, so the less stress points you have during the, the worst parts uh, uh, post-separation tends to be the easier it will be for you later on. Um, so that's where like, like, I'm a huge believer in avoiding court at all, at, at, at most any cost, if you can. Um, compromising wherever possible, because you got to remind yourself, you've got to parent your children with this person. And the faster you can arrive at a point that is um, amicable and where you can communicate, um, the healthier your children are going to be. And also the better it be for you too. Yeah. Well, that's a great place to sort of taper off because it's all really about the kids, right? Because those kids 
grow up into adults who get married and then the cycle repeats or doesn't repeat in a healthy way, um, depending on how you set the guidelines. So while I do hope that most people do not get divorced, there are certainly enough of them out there for <laughs> the services to be provided. So tell our listeners where, how much does the book cost and where can we get it? Sure. Uh, here's my book. I'll hold it up. Uh, Take the High Road, Divorce with nice. Compassion for Yourself and Your Family. Um, it's available in a number of bookstores, but for sure on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Target.com. Um, it's available right now in, in, in hard copy and also Kindle. Um, and it's been out since, I think, March 29th, so it's fairly new. Um, and as you said, Alisa, um, I'm very, very proud, most of anything, about all the um, referrals from the professional community who yes. has read dozens of these books and said, this is one that's different. And, it, it, you know, the one thing, last thing I would say is um, you're not going to have a lot of time as you're splitting into two households. So certainly if you can read one book and get most of what you need from that book, that's going to be great. And the way I've structured it with the different tips, I mean, even the most amicable divorce, there'll be five, six or seven tips that you didn't think of that can help you and help your children. So the books, uh, as far as I know, is available on any, <laughs> on most of all these websites. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't mean to sound corny, but I, I hope it's something that can help you your, uh, if you need it, um, your fr friends or family if they need it. And, uh, and certainly, uh, hopefully trying to give, give a little bit of back here. Yeah, that's great. I, I mean, I'm going to recommend it to my clients. They always ask me for resources and, um, and if there are ways, I mean, obviously I'll put it out on my social media. And so everybody should look to the social media posts in the next week or so to see um, where you can get more information. It was super nice meeting you, Andy. I enjoyed talking to you. I think you're right on, right? Good, good work. It's good spiritual work, right? <laughs> good karma, giving information to people, especially when right now the divorce is on the rise. <laughs> so unfortunately, and people are in conflict. So as yeah. always, um, I encourage people in conflict to seek out resources, um, whether it's publications, um, books, mediation, life coaching, whatever it is, the resource that you need to help you, not at the end of the process, but when you're thinking about what may be jumping into the process, um, get as much information as you can and arm yourself. So you'll be better for yourself and your children. Thanks, Andy. We'll look forward to having you back again after the book sells. You know, in there's six months or so, you can come back and tell us how great it was. <laughs> I would love to, Elisa. I'd be happy to come back. And I've also enjoyed this discussion. I think we come from very similar points, points and uh, worldviews. Yes. Thank you so much. It was nice having you. My pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Did I stop? Hold on. I'm stop. I'll just stop recording.